Hello and welcome to Cooking for Love, a podcast exploring the stories of people who cook from the heart, inspired by my nanny who taught me what cooking for love meant. I'm Kate Mobley and this week I'll be chatting to Vindya. Vindya is from southern India, born and raised in Hyderabad. She's a trained chef, having worked at the Ritz-Carlton for two years in a kitchen that focused on the cuisine of northwestern India. After this, she completed the 12-week cooking course at Ballymaloo Island, where I was lucky enough to become friends with her. After the course, she then jetted off to sunny Hawaii to work for the Big Island Private Chef Company. She has now returned to India and is baking goods to order from home. Whilst at Ballymaloo, I got to experience Vindya's amazing cooking. From the start, she was extremely generous and would always cook big meals and invite everyone to her cottage for dinner. A few things that stick in my mind are her ghee, her biryani and her dal. She used ingredients she sourced in cork, as well as little bags of spices she bought from home. Soon word got out and Darina Allen, founder of the cooking school, was often requesting that Vindya cook her Sunday lunch. What shone through the most in these delicious meals was the love and care Vindya put into her food. She really had the power to bring people together. By the end of the course, she was even asked to host a cooking demo for us all. It can't be often that students get asked to do that. Not only is Vindya an amazing chef, but she is one of the sweetest and kindest people I've met. And I'm excited to have her on the podcast today. Vindya, welcome to Cooking for Love. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, those were some kind words about me. Oh, how are you? How are you? <laughs> Good. I've um yeah, it's been very cold here, so I've been snug up with a hot water bottle all day. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing well. The weather over here is so different. It's cold at one moment and it's warm in another. Though it's December, the weather is different here. What what is the weather in December normally like? It's normally like chilly but I think the global warming is affecting everyone and it turns out to be warm in the afternoon and a bit chilly in the evening. When I was um, writing the intro I was remembering all those little bags of spices you bought to Balamaloo. Um, <laughs> I, was, I felt like I was like constantly following you and being like Vindia what's this? Vindia what's this? And like trying to write it all down. Um, that must have been so annoying. <laughs> I remember, did you even have like a special salt? Was it black salt? Oh yeah, I did. Um, the black salt is usually like a taste enhancer that has a, a tinge of umami kind of flavor to it. Mm-hmm. It leaves a, a tartness on your tongue when you eat it. And, and ha- uh, one like, it leaves that feeling of uh, wanting to have it more. Mm. So, like, uh, it's just like a showstopper because you just put it on top of fruits, cut fruits, or uh, any of the kebabs. It, it's definitely in there. You can't see it, but you, you can just feel it when you're eating. Like It makes your mouth watering. That's mm. one thing with the black salt. I need to source some, I think. <laughs> um, or maybe I can send you some over if you yeah, want to. <laughs> um, so before we dive in, can you tell me something that you've cooked recently that made you excited? Recently, me and my brother, we cooked together a dish called mutton dalcha. 
So mm. we have never prepared this dish before. And it's a dish mainly uh, made from the Muslim community in Hyderabad. And it's, it's a dish where you get the lentils and the mutton together, but they don't add any of the spice powders. It's heavily based on just like the whole spices and the only ingredients that you add, the seasonings that you add is salt and red chili powder. So there's, the flavor is all in the whole spices and the lentils and the fat from the mutton that you get. So no ground spices, just whole spices. Yeah, there's no ground spices, excluding the red chili powder. Mm. So what kind, of, what kind of whole spices were there? Uh, bay leaf, cloves, uh, cinnamon bark, green cardamom, black cardamom, and then um, it's called shahi jeera, royal cumin. Is that like quite Arabic? Like has that, do you think, inspired by... I, I'm not sure whether it's Arabic because it definitely have that uh, Muslim community that cooks in Hyderabad. They have a different uh, type of flavors. Like they mainly focus on whole spices rather than the powdered spices. So it was def uh, definitely tasty because we, in our house, we never think of eating uh, lentils and mutton together, like in a dish, like we don't cook together. But there's something like we make the mutton separately and the dal separately and you just mix together when you're eating. But not like mixing both of them before cooking and doing it. It was just a simple dish. It was so comforting. I think mm. it makes a good meal when you're when it's chilly. It gives that warmth in a bowl. Oh, yeah, I want some now. <laughs> My dish this week isn't nearly as nice as that <laughs> just remind me what it's called again mutton dalcha um mutton d-a-l-c-h-a dalcha cool i'm gonna look it up you, you should definitely do it mine is yesterday i made for lunch i wanted to do like a veggie roast mm -hmm. um but i didn't want to do meat so i did like roasted aubergine and stuff and then i had some boiled beetroots and I, was, I didn't know what to do with them so I was like I sliced them quite thinly and made like a gratin oh okay like layers of beetroot and goat cheese and then put breadcrumbs on top and it was actually really good that sounds lovely I stopped eating salads for a while um in Ballymaru I was every day eating salad but like at home we don't eat that much of uh, greens like I mean we do mix it in our curries but not like separately as a salad yeah oh those balamaloo green salads yeah I, I used to love them I was shocked by myself to eat that much green leaf every day in my meal it's not like we do here um, but yeah it was a different experience overall also the picking up Picking them from the greenhouses every day and eating them fresh made it more better, I feel. Yeah, definitely. We were very, very spoiled by the quality of plants, I think. I totally agree. <laughs> and even like after Ballymoo, then I started looking ingredients more closely, how fresh they are. 
uh, before it was just like sorting them out, like the good ones, but now giving them a keen eye, whether to pick them up or not. Um, my perspective has changed a lot after Valimundo. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm definitely, definitely trying to buy organic and local and seasonal as much as possible, which actually I'm quite spoiled here. We get a lot of organic veg. Do you, can you get quite a lot of good organic veg where you are? We do, not a lot, but we do in hypermarkets. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we should buy at the farmer's market more. Yeah. But farmer's market do have little pesticides used. Like yeah. you, you know it, like the produce sometimes. So you need to know your seller well so that you know the produce that they're bringing in. And organic, I feel like here the term organic is a bit overrated when it comes because uh, there is adulteration in the food under the name of organic and which I feel it isn't right. We should definitely know the source before buying them. Yeah, so, okay, so like in the supermarket, you wouldn't buy something labeled organic because it might not be actually be organic. Yeah. Rather buy something not certified organic from a producer at the farmer's market that you know. Yes, that is true. Yeah, unless and until I definitely know the source and you're very reliable to it, I don't uh, think of buying them in the supermarkets which are which says organic. And recently over here, the hydroponic thing has become a has become a household thing now. Like they grow leafy vegetables in the hydroponic gardens and. That's how people are buying green leafy vegetables or like the salad, lettuce um, and things as such. What's your opinion on that? I personally, I, I personally love something that's grown in the soil because in a hydroponic thing, you're doing it in a proper environment. Like you're creating an a, a environment that is not in reality, but you are growing things which are yeah. not around because here we don't uh, usually get the salad lettuce as such and people tend to buy the things that we get outside India that are grown in a hydroponic way so to get the produce as such. Yeah it's, that's a really tough like balance because I agree with you that I prefer something that's grown in the soil and I think soil is a very undervalued element and we need to protect our soil and like they don't even know how many nutrients come from the soil when it's grown in your food and that was the first lesson at Balamilu first day (laughs) like love soil you should you should be able to put your hands in the soil and feel it and learn about it I but here's the thing like I definitely bought some hydroponically grown basil because there was a day I was craving to make pesto and you don't usually get like basil everywhere over here. I had to, I compromised myself and I did go there and got some basil. Don't beat yourself up about the basil. (laughs) I I know, I know. I, I believe there's this thing where a person needs to know about the soil they grow. They should be, if you're putting your hand to eat, I think the same hand should go into the soil to know how you're growing the uh, food that you're eating. Definitely everyone needs to know the importance 
of farming and respecting the produce that you get. I think you've put that very well. I agree. If you watch the Netflix show uh, Kiss the Ground. Oh no, I, I never heard about it. It's really good. It like explains why the soil is so important and how it can actually be a key factor in preventing climate change. I will definitely look into it and watch it. Yeah, I recommend it. It's not that long and it's like quite nice, easy watching, but very informative. There was this thing when I was in Ballymulu that I had to go in search of curry leaves. Uh, we, both, we both went to the Indian store together to source some curry leaves and few other ingredients. And me, myself, I was raised with a curry leaf plant in my house where we never bought curry leaves from outside. Like we never paid a price for it. And it was a totally different thing. It, it, was, it felt different when I was buying curry leaves for one, uh, one euro, which doesn't give much. And then that's when I knew the importance, like when it's right in my, in my garden, we just used to like use it how much we want. But when I came to Balimulu, I had to like see how much I was using. I had to reduce it and not to spend so much on it. I, I totally agree that curry leaves play a crucial role in tempering. It gives different flavor. And I think I suggest you, if you get, if you ever get to try curry leaves again, you should put them in gin and muddle them with ice and add some uh, lime juice to it and add the gin and tonic to it. Yeah, it, it feels very different when you drink it with the curry leaf. Oh, gosh. My first cocktail recommendation. I love it. <laughs> you should definitely try it and let me know how it goes. I will. Um, you mentioned tempering. Can you just explain what that is for people who might not know? Tempering is something like, it's like a finish, like a spin-off that you do to the dish you have cooked. And you have like uh, pigeon peas, peanuts, mustard, cumin, and you can choose an oil that you would like to like uh, use. Like for some dishes, you can do the tempering with coconut oil and it gives a different flavor. And for some dishes, it's like you can use the regular vegetable oil or peanut oil. So over here, like for coconut, when we use coconut oil, it's mainly for dishes that come from Kerala. They definitely use coconut oil in their dishes. And uh, at home, we use peanut oil for tempering for pickles, because what I learned is that peanut oil gives more flavor than tempering with a normal vegetable oil for your pickles. For pickles, as in, uh, it's different from what it is abroad. It's not the pickles that are in vinegar, but we make it differently with other sourdough agents like tamarind, and uh, tomatoes as such as the base for the achar achar is the pickle the word we use so when i think of a pickle i think of a gherkin in vinegar yeah this is something completely different it's like so tomato and tamarind base around like what kind of vegetable you can use any vegetable you would like to pickle and the pickling process is totally different from region to region in India, because to my knowledge, in southern part, we don't use mustard paste or as such. 
we use mustard powder instead. But when mm. you go into the north side, they do use a bit of vinegar and the mustard paste and a few other ingredients. I can briefly tell you how we make a cauliflower pickle at our house. If you, I would love. <laughs> so, like my mom used to make the cauliflower pickle. They, she used to make a dry rub with the mustard and then mustard powder. Like you, you don't need to roast it. You just powder the mustard seeds, and then she used to put rock salt instead of the table salt. And she used to put red chili powder into it. And then in a different container, she used to put vegetable oil along with lime juice in it and crushed ginger and garlic paste into it. Freshly grounded ginger garlic. So she used to dip the cauliflower in the powdered spices and then she used to coat them in the oil. And then she puts like, because she's like, she used to tell like the powder you need to coat the um cauliflower and then she used to dip them in the oil and then mix the leftover powdered spices into the same thing and nice you don't you don't need to temper this temper the pickle um, and then you just let, let it like rest for a day or two and then you're ready to have it with some steamed rice uh, as a condiment to your meal that sounds so good i'm gonna try that and pickles are seasonal also over here. In summer, we definitely, every household makes mango pickle. And uh, it's, it's from the unripened mangoes. It's, it's, it's a whole different process that goes into making of mango pickle. And that's one of the best things that they have come up so far since our ancestor times, I feel. <laughs> um it's also comforting like so how we were raised is that if you don't cook anything like if your moms don't feel like cooking anything on on some particular days they just make dal without any additions so they just pressure cook dal and they just eat it with the mango pickle Uh, that's it that's the meal or there are days when you just eat um yogurt and rice together along with the pickle as a condiment to it so you don't need to cook anything so as long as you've got a jar of pickle in the house you're sorted uh sure thing definitely would you have pickle with every meal normally like even if you're having a bigger meal do you always have a pickle to go with it yes i I, we do but sometimes like if you do like on the table, if you get a chutney, so chutney is different from the pickle. So if there's a chutney on the table, then we don't tend to have the pickle on the table. Like it, it just depends upon your mood if you would like to have the pickle or not. Okay. So let's dive into the prop. I feel like we've already, we're already halfway through and I haven't even asked you any <laughs> questions yet. So, um, Cooking and food is obviously a big part of your life now. Was it a big thing in your family growing up? And do you have any like favorite memories around food from your childhood? Yes, I do. I I still remember my granddad cooking food for us. We lived with our grandparents at that time. And my granddad was a person who made me fall in love with the food that he cooks. Even my mother, not to leave her on the side, but 
yeah it was my granddad who made me love food and uh, gain more interest on it we used to i have this memory of so on the weekends the schools shut early like they shut in the noon so like when i come back from the school like i used to watch tv along with them like the cooking shows only come at 12:30 in the noon not before that so i remember having like having lunch and watching the cooking show together and that was kind of my few of the first memories that i have with the food and he used to always experiment with the food like he always goes out of the box like he just puts in his thoughts and just randomly cook whatever pleases uh, him at that moment he doesn't go by a recipe as such and i still remember the first time like i cooked in the kitchen was an was an omelet and I, uh, it was like very funny because my mom was like i'm not going to make you eggs i i made you so many dishes and i was like no i want eggs and then she was like she's like go make for yourself and then i didn't knew that you need some fattening agent like butter or ghee or oil on the pan to, for the eggs to cook and i just put directly the eggs on the pan and it, they burnt they, they literally burnt <laughs> and that was kind of my first memory that when i started cooking but lately like when i started going into the kitchen was when, uh, we make something called some uh, um kesri bath in our language it's rava kesar So rava is semolina, kisar is sweet. So we used to make this uh, dish uh, uh, on weekends or like whenever you want to eat it. It's just like con- consist of like few ingredients, just like semolina, milk, uh, sugar, and cardamom powder. And you can Ooh. add saffron to it, and th- you can get the color to it. So that's how I started learning. Like whenever I have a craving for sweet. it's very easy to make and that's how i as like i cooked the first dish that i made was a semolina fudge you can say oh it's like semolina fudge so it's like quite um stodgy um it, or what's the texture of it the texture of it will be like a porridge but okay. not completely so if if it's not if you don't add sugar and you add tempering to it it becomes upma upma is a breakfast that you make with mm-hmm. semolina or any other um you can make with uh cracked wheat broken wheat i'm sorry um and then you can make it with poha if you remember the uh rice flakes if you remember i made ones in palamalu um so it, it differs so if you make it sweet then you just add sugar and some cardamom powder to it and then you can fry some cashews and almonds on the side and just toss them over and it's ready to go like you can just eat it so there was this memory of me having it because for everyone's birthday anyone's birthday in the house that is a dish that is made and if you cook it uh, add less liquid it comes together and then you can set it on a plate as a cake so that's how my granddad used to make for us and my mom as well they just like uh, set it into a tray and then they uh, turn it upside down and then they just cut it 
like into pieces and that's what that was our cake for our birthdays sounds like um yeah it is i, I can share the recipe as well with you it it's very easy to make i've actually got some semolina in the cupboard that i don't know what to do with so that would be amazing the main ingredient is the key the flavor of key to it along with saffron is definitely a combination made in heaven i feel <laughs> and your ghee is just best ah thank you i could give a tip of making the ghee is that what my mom taught is add some fenugreek seeds into the ghee so it helps in the longevity uh, of staying on the counter that it doesn't go bad like the t- flavor doesn't go i remember you saying that so the fenugreek acts like a preservative yeah and then in our house we do add curry leaves as a taste enhancer to the ghee it's different from house to house but yeah yum ghee is such a good thing and people should definitely eat it, it it's more better than butter that we feel ghee is a good source of fat like few people consider it's not good for health but it is definitely good like there's one of my grandmom who says like you should have at least one teaspoon of ghee every day in your meal time so that it, it she relates it with with gods as well but i personally prefer like to start my meal with some ghee on the steamed rice with whatever dish that like the curry is is with me i mean it's so tasty so if it's good for you as well there's no need to not have it <laughs> i i i totally agree i think everybody should have a little ghee every now and then <laughs> um was there anything else that your granddad used to make that you like what was one of the favorite things that he used to make for you i i love him making biryani for us and that's how i learned making biryani for me and my brother because my mom was never into the zone of making biryani she was always into making curries and pulavs but not the biryani um people think it's very stressful but i think it's one of the easiest dishes once you have learned like the craft of it because there's there's a level of satisfaction when you marinate the meat for a day or two and then it's so succulent when you cook it and then you just need to have it with there's no other thing that you need to cook for it you just mix the rice and the meat together and have it as a whole dish and just have raita or salan as condiments it, it, it's a dish for itself so yeah so is that um cuz hyderabad is famous for its biryani right yes it is so is that a traditional um version from there you you do a chicken right i i do the chicken and i do the mutton as well and uh, lately i have been trying out different like variations that they do so in hyderabad the biryani is cooked with dum dum is like you're steaming it from inside by uh covering it from all the sides and you just let the steam cook the meat and the rice together like you don't uh in hyderabad you don't cook the meat prior to making the biryani you just like put a layer of marinated meat and then 70% cooked rice 
and let them steam together. And that's how it's done in Hyderabad. In when you go in the northern northwestern part, and Lucknow is also famous for its biryani, where they cook the meat before itself, and then they layer the meat and rice alternatively. And if you go in the uh, east side, where in Bengal, they add uh, potatoes to their biryani. And if you go very south in Kerala, they do add tomatoes to the biryani they make. And th th there's a conflict going every time that our biryani is the best in every region because in, in Hyderabad, people don't approve of adding potatoes to the biryani. And, <laughs> and in other parts, like in Bengal, they're like, if there's no potato in biryani, it's not a biryani. Because I feel like wherever you grew up is always the one you're going to think is best, right? Because that's your comfort food from when you were little or that's what you grew up yes. with. So what I do when making biryani is in Hyderabad, they don't add, add the rose water or the screw pine water to it. In Lucknow, they do. What's, the, what's the second thing you said? Screw pine. It's actually called caved water. Um, so, and I translate it as screw pine and uh, it's, it, it, it acts like a flavoring agent to the rice you cook. So in Hyderabad, they don't usually add it. In Lucknow, they do. But the biryani that I make, that the changes I made to the recipe is I do the Hyderabadi style, but I do add the rose water and the kevda water to, to the rice as well. What flavor does the, is it screw pine? Yes, it is. What, what flavor is that? It, it's a flavor to itself. Like there's something like, I can't define the flavor of it. I've just never heard of it before. Like we have, we always say caved our water. I had to research what they say it in English. And then um, there's this thing like in Hyderabad, they sometimes use attar. Attar is perfume they actually use it in dishes. Like the Muslim community, they actually use it in making of biryani. So you can relate like the atar is kind of similar to kevda water. It's a, it's, it's a bit strong, but if you add too much, it might leave the dish bitter. Okay. So you are um, mixing traditions to create your best own way of without any conflicts <laughs> uh, but definitely I need to try my hand on making the Bengal style uh, biryani where they add potatoes to the meat which I'm very looking forward to trying it yeah in South Africa there's a dish called a poiki pot and it's like um it's like a cast iron pot that you layer up with meat, potatoes and veg. And there's tomato in there actually too. Um, and then you stick it on the fire and you just leave it. And the potatoes in there are delicious. So I feel like it's kind of a similar cooking style. Like the potatoes just soak up all the flavour and they're really nice. Oh, totally. I, I, I'm looking forward to learn more about this dish. It sounds interesting, definitely. Um, I think that's the main thing they add potatoes into it because it soaks up all the flavor like potato is one such ingredient like it takes what flavor you give it like you need to flavor them according to your style. Mm -hmm. 
So um, you grew up with food as quite a big part of your childhood, but when did you realise that you wanted to actually do cooking as a career? I was around uh, 13 years and there was this time where my brother got addicted to the cooking shows on TLC. So there were only few food networking channels we, we used to get at that time. One of them was TLC and one of, other one was Fox Life Channel. Um, my brother used to, like after school, like he used to watch it. He, he, he's the one like who um, made me fall into the profession, like make it as a profession more. Like, because till that time I was like just enjoying the food as a family thing. Mm-hmm. But my brother was one of the key, uh, he, made, he played a role for me to choose it as a profession because those were the days that we were watching TV and I was watching Nigella Lawson. <laughs> I, I fell in love with her. Like, though she herself doesn't say that she's a chef, uh, she's, she always addresses herself as a cook. Mm-hmm. And there were the shows I used to watch of uh, Richmond Blanc. I'm sorry, Raymond Blanc. I'm correcting myself. It's Raymond Blanc. And so he was very professional on one hand. And on the other hand, Nigella was like, she's like relaxed and she's enjoying. And uh, and then like the way they cook made me fall into like make it as a profession because then I realized that food is something that gets everyone to the table. You like, I realized it like whenever you fight, or whenever you are together in happy moments. But at the end of the day, you need to come to the table to eat together as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, so food food gets everyone together, no matter how your moods are. Like we had a dinner time in our house, like at eight o'clock, everyone needs to sit at the table and eat together. And uh, we were watching these shows on all these channels and uh, that was the first time I came across Gordon Ramsay as well. And I'm like, oh, this is so stressful. The <laughs> shouting and everything. <laughs> that's so interesting that you say about sitting down together for dinner, because that's what we had as well. And I think that's, yeah, it's a really important part of like family relationships is that meal every day, like consistently coming together and even if you are grumpy or have had a fight with your brother or whatever it always seems to ease a bit over a meal yes I I totally agree with it because like there used to be this funny incidents that you need to pass the salt you need to pass a condiment you need to ask them to you because you can't reach on the other hand and like that's when you make a conversation with them and that's how again you start like a conversation even though you both had a fight or like and then your parents ask how your day was or they just get to know you more when you're around the table yeah so I was always into like the food that my mom makes like I think at a a point I took granted that she'll make anything for me like whatever I ask my mom used to make separate dishes for me I, I used to like the effort she used to take in just making a separate dish for me yeah and it it gets a happiness like it gives me happiness that she made a dish for myself when this was the time when I started watching the shows and I thought I think this this would be a profession and 
my family definitely encouraged me to do it. But there were things like you even hear to date that it's not a woman's place to be in the kitchen. So the irony with this statement is they are okay with the women cooking in the house as housewives, but they're not okay with women cooking in the kitchen as a profession, which is very ironic, I feel. I remember you talking about when you were at the Ritz, how you were one of few women in the kitchen and how I was so shocked that that was still the case where you were. And it's so great to hear that your family was so supportive of you, despite like the cultural feeling that women shouldn't be professional chefs. And it's really amazing that you've stuck at it and are so successful because it must be hard when you're getting people telling you you can't do it. Yes, it was. It was difficult to make uh, a position for myself in the kitchen when I was working professionally because they're like, they were passing a few statements which I didn't feel right. Like, like at the end of the day, you will get married and then you'll not be in the in the line. And I'm like, but that, that's not the case that you not teach me things. Mm. And that it was, that is what it is. Like, it was very low in the beginning, but once you know kitchen in and out, I think you can like have hands-on experience and also converse with your uh, colleagues. But at the end of the day, they'll be like, uh, are we ready to listen from a woman in the kitchen? So you need to definitely face all these things at one or the other point. So do you think like the way you're treated there and how you weren't really given the respect you deserve has put you off working in like professional kitchens again in India? Uh, definitely it did. For, for, for some part it did. So I definitely wouldn't work in, in the hotels, but there is a growth in the restaurants uh, chain, like the uh, standalone restaurants where they're given importance equally. The times are changing now. So I think like the standalone restaurants are doing much more better in taking care of things as such. Yeah, so definitely I'm not going to work in the hotel chain though. Yeah, that's so tough, but well done for sticking at it and getting out of that toxic atmosphere as well. Thank you. And Balimulu or like, so that Balimulu was my first abroad experience outside India. And it, it definitely made me feel uh, myself worth more, like, because everyone was so respectable and like, they do give you importance. Like, they value your opinions and... They, they know how to treat you well. And it happened the same when I was in Hawaii. So in Hawaii, I worked with this person called Martha Brown. So it's run by her. The business is run by her. She owns the business. And she is also a bit inspirational because she was one of the first women to study in Culinary Institute of America around 1970s. Oh, wow. She, she belonged to one of the first batches that had women in the Culinary Institute. That's cool. It was different. It was good working under her, like to know her opinions on how, how women are treated and how you should stand up for yourself and things as such. Both, both the places have 
made me more confident and also value my self respect comes before and that's how you need to work along yeah that's that's so good to hear because i think when we were at balimelu everyone respected you so much especially because you were such a great chef and it's really good to hear that that helped boost your self esteem because you were good before you even went but it's good to know that you realized that <laughs> um yes indeed it was when um when you came to balimelu were there apart from obviously that cultural side of things was there any other like main differences around eating and food that you noticed compared to by India and where you grew up definitely there are so we are used to eating with our hands and not with cutlery and it was different like but that doesn't mean we don't know how to manage our cutlery but uh, i'm so used to eating with hands at home and i would expect the same when i'm around with the people whom i'm comfortable with that i can dig my hands into the food but when i when i was in balimelu it was not the same because everyone uses cutlery as a form when when they have to eat it definitely made me uncomfortable at few situations because i was getting conscious about my table etiquette because i need to use the cutlery but there are things which i want to eat with my hand and i was like ah oh, should i eat it with hand i was just like contemplating myself okay is it okay with if i eat with my hands or is it okay if i don't use the cutlery that was one of the cultural difference we definitely have at home like if you're at home sometimes we usually don't like put on our footwear and eat the food there was a saying my mom used to say that food is equal to god so that like you need to respect it while you eat it so you should not wear footwear oh interesting but it was different like but that that thing has gone when i started working as such so it it was different but i do remember that i'm wearing my footwear when i'm eating so it was different <laughs> you prefer um eating with your hands like what is it about eating with your hands that you enjoy it, it depends upon what i'm eating so definitely i love eating with my hands if it's indian food definitely and there are things that i i prefer to eat with cutlery even if it's indian food i definitely want cutlery in some of the things but it it's so satisfying when you eat with your hands because you have sense like your touch that that's been onto the food and then that that's how you're fed as well so you're touching the food that you're eating so it gives a different feel when you consume it i agree i love eating with my hands and i like I don't have the skill to eat everything with my hands mm-hmm. but in a meal where it involves your hands I just love it it does make you feel like more connected to the food um and like feel like more of an experience there was this time where um, like you need to eat with your hands and like you eat on a banana leaf mm-hmm. like we do do it on special occasions not regularly so there's a craft of eating food on banana leaf like even you eat your dal or like sambar sambar is like a lentil stew it's it's runny but there's a art when you eat it on the banana leaf because it should not go out of your leaf and definitely people should start uh, should definitely try eating on banana leaf because it gives a different sense 
of eating it. And there's this belief that you get so, so many nutrients when you eat on banana leaf. Interesting. There's quite a few like of um, my friends here, like one who cooks Filipino food. She like loves to serve things on banana leaf, but it's actually really expensive here, which is annoying. But I remember when I was in Sri Lanka, they served a lot of food um, using banana leaf. And there was like a dish where like they steamed the whole dish in um, banana leaf as well. And yeah, there's definitely a like, lovely flavor that comes from that. Uh, when you tell about steaming, there's this dish that I love. Uh, you make the steamed fish in the banana leaves. And it definitely gives a whole different flavor when you steam it inside the leaves. You, you put all your spices. So in the southern India, we eat more of red chilies and as such. So um, you just marinate your fish and then you steam it. Or even... When you don't want your fish to brown so much on the grill or the griddle, you just put a banana leaf on top of it and then put the fish so that the fish doesn't burn, but it gets cooked on the side. So you put banana leaf on the grill and then the fish on top to stop it burning? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. It, it gives a tart flavor, but it doesn't burn the fish. Hmm. Um. So I've not really talked about cooking for love yet as the title of the podcast should indicate but um, what is it about cooking for your loved ones that you enjoy definitely uh the, the anticipation that they have when I say that I'm cooking something on this particular day they'll be looking forward for it and it makes me uh, feel like I need to do better every time I cook though I have made the dish several times I need to give out my best every time I cook. It's, it's like learning a new way to cook the food and also see the happy faces in the end when they eat the food that you made, uh, which definitely gives a satisfaction to us mm-hmm. and brings a smile on our faces uh, at the end of the day that, you know, someone is enjoying the food you cook. Like you have put effort into making something for your loved one. And if the bowl is empty, that's all that matters. Yeah, your food especially. I just remember at Ballymaloo how it just had the ability to bring people together and put a smile on people's faces. Like even a dish that they hadn't had before was so comforting. Your food just is. And I think the amount of love and care you put into the food really shows and like makes people happy. Um, that also I use food is definitely a medium to get people together and uh, I'm a person who is kind of ambivert and then when like when I came to Balimalu in the beginning um, people didn't know that I existed in the first two weeks and that that was a opportunity that I took to make food for people and invite them over and make a conversation with them and uh, it's, if there's one thing that I can make, like I, I stand out, is I believe that I cook good food and I can get people to the table together. And uh, that's what I believe. Food is definitely, food makes me happy personally. And I, I prefer that it makes the other person happy as well at the same time with what I cook. And we eat together and share a memory with it. And I believe that's how we met 
and I'm I'm very grateful that I met you and few others in this journey of Ballymolo and other things. Yeah, it was, and I was so excited to be invited over, and then proceeded to come over early and steal all your recipes about how you cooked everything. <laughs> That's one thing where cooking for love is like you don't follow a recipe. Like if if it's not baking, definitely I don't follow the recipe like by the book of the co- food that we cook at home. It's just definitely cooking uh, depends upon the mood. It reflects your, your mood reflects into your cooking. Mm-hmm. So every time you make a dish, it's not the same. It it just changes. Uh, in like in taste or in texture at, at times but at the end of the day if you're putting something on the table and getting people together is all that matters is what I feel that's how cooking for love mm-hmm. what cooking for love means to me mm. that's really lovely <laughs> um, thank you and um, I, I forgot to add that um i i love my mom's fish curry and i i think like she makes the best fish curry on this planet i know it's like too much exaggeration but everyone has a favorite recipe from their home mm-hmm. and i think our fish curry stands out uh definitely than any other thing so, right, well, best fish curry in the world, you have to explain what goes into the fish curry. Um, so we uh, use the, the, so it also depends upon the fish that you choose. We don't uh, use the oily fish and uh, we use a fish that's called katla. Uh, and... Uh, so the main uh, is that similar to any fish you had when you were here, just so we can compare. I'm not sure. I'm I'm sorry. I'm not sure about. I'm not. I'm allergic to fish, so I'm not an expert. No, I I do remember. <laughs> like a white fish, or is it what kind of color is it? Oh, it's a white fish. Okay, cool. It's a white fish. Maybe you can uh, you can substitute basa, but it doesn't give the same flavor. Mm-hmm. But it, it's called katla in, in India, but it, it's different in my language as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so the spice mix that goes into it, the special spice mix that you have to make for the fish curry is cinnamon, clove, cardamom. And so that's the trick when you cook the fish curry. So it, it consists mainly of onions as a base gravy and tamarind add, adds as a a uh, sarring agent to it and the hero of the dish is definitely the fish and the ingredients coming together and like uh, with this dish you can even like you don't need to refrigerate it for two days like you don't refrigerate it you just cook it and have it the next day so it's served best the next day like you cook today and then you eat it tomorrow the spices are really subtle not too like yeah so like you saute the onions the diced onions let them become translucent and then you add uh, slit green chilies to it uh, freshly grounded ginger and garlic paste to it and let the raw flavor go 
and then you add in the spice powders as red chili powder, salt, turmeric. You add the special spice mix in the end when you add the fish. So the thing with this dish is when once you add the fish inside the pot, you don't use a ladle or anything to move the fish. You just need to move the dish around, but not like you don't you do, you should not put a spoon in it. Like you should never put a spoon in it. So you just let it simmer in the gravy for a while, and then add the tamarind uh, tamarind paste to it. Is that the only liquid that goes in the tamarind paste? Yeah, it acts as a sari agent, and that's it. You garnish it with freshly chopped coriander and add the spice mix in the end, like two, two to three minutes before you switch off the stove, and that's how it is. I I love this curry. I can share the recipe with you. Um, that would be when you like. And one of the good things that I did was. Um, writing down the recipes in the COVID time when I was spending time with my mom, oh. and so it was different. I, I was lucky enough to um, have a few recipes written by her, which I wrote down as well with some quantities which she didn't tell, but I just like. Uh, went by the eye and measured the quantities. Yeah, it's hard when like, I have that with my granny. Like she's like, oh, just a pinch of this, pinch of that. I'm like, no, how much? How much? I need the recipe. Um, but well done for right. So, have you are you making like a book then of your mum's recipes? Oh, that's the plan. Uh, me and my brother have, but we need to make a, a small book as that calls all the family recipes. And all the memories that we have, we need to recreate and see how it how it comes together. There were a few recipes that my granddad used to make as well. So we want to test a few recipes and make a book in the end. Oh, I'm excited. I'll be your first purchaser. <laughs> uh, definitely, you will get one. <laughs> Honestly, like... I feel like everyone needs to eat your food and experience it. So if you have a cookbook that people can buy, that would be incredible. Oh, I'm, I'm so thankful for your words. So you love cooking for other people, but when you're on your own and want something comforting for you, what's something that you make for yourself? There's a thing called pulihora or puliogare. Uh, uh, puli is like the tartness or the souring that you get. It's mainly made with the lemon, I mean lime juice or tamarind. So it has its own variations. So you mix the rice along with some lime juice and turmeric into it. And then just temper it with peanuts and pigeon peas, mustard and curry leaves together. And then just mix it in the rice. So there's nothing more that you add to it. You can add like bits of ginger to it if you're making. And it, it's one of the dish that you can even make with leftover rice. You don't need to cook rice, like especially for it. Like a day old rice would be good as well. So it's just like very well flavored, right. delicious rice. Yes. And other thing is uh, definitely curd rice. It's curd rice doesn't mean that the curds you get 
it's made from the, the yogurt and the rice mixed together and with some salt. It's comforting. It's very comforting when you eat. I haven't had that before. That sounds divine. You just need to mix the yogurt and uh, rice together and you can have some pickle with it. The Indian pickle. <laughs> the pickle always comes back. <laughs> and um, if you don't like a pickle, there's something that we usually do is that you have a green chili along with uh, the curd rice. Don't, don't try it with the bird eye chili, but you should just need to have a serrano chili or like something like that. <laughs> so it's comforting. It's definitely comforting any given time of the day. So the thing with food is it makes you learn different cultures at the same time. Like you exchange your cultures and your views to it and how it can change one's perspective. Like few things, I, I feel like people think Indian food is too strong, but I feel like if it's made in the right way and if you have eaten the right food, it, it's not like, it's not the same like no, it's not at all and it's all about balance and like there's your your skill in knowing when to put each spice and to put cumin in at the start as a base flavor and then a pinch of cumin at the end to have the fresh cumin like flavor and like the layering of spices is like way more nuanced than I think people realize Exactly. So I, I think people should come out of butter chicken. Like, being, <laughs> <laughs> remember we did this beyond butter chicken hashtag and yes. Indian food doesn't like come under the butter chicken or naan. It's much more beyond the butter chicken. Mm -hmm. And there are several breads, several cheeses that I have learned in recent times that India has. And there, there was this cheese that uh, comes from yak's milk. It, it looks kind of, uh, it looks as brie, but it's not. And I still need to taste it. But definitely, like, there are so many things that go unnoticed in Indian cuisine. And there, there's this thing where the cuisine changes from every 50 kilometers. Like no one cooks the same food. Like it's yeah. different from household to household, but it's also different from one street to another. Like what you make at home, we don't make at home. And then it, it differs the spices, the ingredients. It's all, it, it, it's different. In India, it's like diversity gets people together in India itself. And people should not restrict it to one dish calling it Indian that's what I feel yeah I think we are just starting to learn well in the UK people are just starting to realize how vast Indian cuisine is and you can't just call something Indian like if you go from Kerala to Hyderabad like the food just changes so much and although like it's all delicious it is different and the techniques are different and the, yeah you can't just call something Indian. So I feel like people in outside India think they just stick to North Indian cuisine because that's what introduced outside India. Even in North Indian cuisine like it's only the Punjabi cuisine that's being highlighted like yeah. butter chicken or like naan like something like that 
but there are many other things that come under Indian cuisine. And you can't put, like, you can't put your finger onto it and say this is Indian cuisine. Like, there are too many things that come under India, so. I also wanted to add this point where in Hyderabad, like, we eat, like, the good cuts of meat. But, like, even in Hyderabad, there are different regional people living in the same city. Mm-hmm. So, before this, the state was one, it's called Andhra Pradesh, but the state was divided a few years ago into two parts. And people from different regions cook different things. And there was this point where I came across that, why do regional people eat bones more? Like, the, they don't eat flesh more. Like, they eat the bones of the meat or the chicken, like... In our home, we don't eat like chicken feet or chicken, um, like the gizzard or like mutton trotters. You don't eat that much in our houses. The other set of people use only like trotters or chicken feet or like they eat the country chicken eggs. Mm -hmm. Like uh, they are like desired acquired taste, but there are also delicacies to them. Mm -hmm. Then there was this person who told, like, so the region is divided into three parts. It's called Telangana, Andhra, and uh, Rayal Seema. So Telangana was having uh, dry crops. They didn't, they were barren lands. Mm-hmm. So they didn't, they were only growing meat as a source during the water system. Mm-hmm. And Andhra and Rayal Seema were flourishing with crops such as paddy fields or pulses as such. So when the exchange happens, so the person who was wealthier more used to eat the good cuts of meat. And the person who couldn't afford went to eating the intestines or the trotters or the feet as such. And that's how, like, one of my friends eats all those things and we don't eat at home. I think it came down from generations to generations that you're used to this cut of meat, but they are used to this cut of meat. And it, it was, it was even like, it was good to know that geographically also that food has affected us from generations. Um, I think that's happened in quite a few different communities where that's like the initial reason for eating a certain cut of meat is the price of it. And then it becomes ingrained in the community and in your like style of food. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the reasons that I can't eat in this times, but I'm slowly learning how, like if it's cooked in a better way, you should def- you can definitely have it. And I mean, better way in the sense, I think that people need to like, you should just go to person who cooks it, who knows the meat, who knows the way to cook it. So yesterday, I'm just sharing this incident like, me and my brother traveled for 300 kilometers just to eat a chicken curry. Wow. And we came back home. This happened yesterday. <laughs> so there's this person who cooks country chicken. So what we eat usually are the broiler chickens. Country chicken is something wild. And we usually don't cook it because it's so hard. And my brother was watching a couple of videos and... Like there were videos since like eight years ago and 10 years ago, the same person was cooking the country chicken. And even to date, he cooks in the same shack. Wow. 
like he didn't like expand the business or such so it's called an auto mess mess is a place it's not the mess in english word mess is a place where you eat together in our language so <clears throat> auto mess is like he cooks it <clears throat> in front of you like you order for a chicken curry he cuts the chicken at that point and then he dresses it and then cooks it for you like he doesn't cook it prior so we just travel 300 kilometers to eat that chicken curry because country chicken is not something that everyone cooks it well like because it's very hard it's a tough meat and it's not like the broiler chicken that it has so much flesh it's more of bones was it good it was so good it was spicy but at the same time it it leaves you with wanting more Mm. So you will be like crying, but at the same time you're eating. <laughs> so it was a good experience that we can tell that we traveled so far just to just eat chicken curry and come back. So they told like why they use uh why how the country chicken came into their village and why they have been cooking it because at those times the village is called Lankapur and then. like the scientists used to go to that place because the crops used to flourish more and scientists used to do some experiments on farming and greenhouses like it's so advanced in those times and the per- the scientists who used to go to the town used to ask to make the country chicken because country chicken is not something that you you, you eat in day to day life it's like a a delicacy that you eat like very rarely not every day you eat it so they used to cook for the scientist like his father used to cook for the scientist and that's how this person has took the legacy and has been continuing the same to cook the chicken curry only chicken curry he doesn't sell anything else it's chicken curry and rice there's nothing like a menu as such oh that sounds amazing it was really good but there was something that my brother came across like he got the head into the pot like the chicken head my brother was like at at a point he's like why what are blueberries doing in my in my plate so the chicken ice <laughs> and then i'm like okay so that's what i'm saying we don't eat those parts but people do eat the other parts as such like they used to eating like the head or the heart like the liver and oh i love chicken liver i i love chicken liver but th- th- those are things that it, it differs from person to person and definitely the chicken eyes were looking as blueberries <laughs> and it was like it was different it was good it was a good experience to go freshly made to order in front of you so you can see the process and that's a good example of cooking for love cooking the same thing every day for people doing it to order. Oh. Well, thank you so much. This has been just amazing to chat to you and I feel like you're a fountain of knowledge and I definitely want to get all these recipes from you and I can um put them on our Instagram and I'll have to cook some and put some photos up. But Yeah, thank you so much. This has been so special. Thank you for asking me to do this. And um, well, you were you were one of the first on my list. 
your when I think of cooking for love that's what you what that's what you do you you exude cooking for love and your food is just incredible as well so yeah I just wanted to chat to you and it's been nice to catch up it's the same and you're going to make me cry now but (laughs) I'll save the tears for later but it's been um thank you for getting me to do this because this is something I'm doing like out of my comfort zone it's good to catch up with you and and take care of yourself you too lots of love Bye. bye thank you for listening to cooking for love and i hope you enjoyed this episode with vindia as much as i did she was so amazing to talk to and i felt that we could have carried on chatting for hours i will be sharing some of the recipes vindia mentioned in the podcast on social media so keep an eye out for that um, as you know i am just starting out on this podcasting journey so it would be amazing if you subscribed reviewed and shared the podcast you can also follow me on at Cooking for Love Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. If you would like to share your Cooking for Love stories with me, please email cookingforlove at gmail.com and I may share them in future episodes. I hope you have a great week and I'll see you next time.